Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Bossing It, the weekly podcast for women in business brought to you by entrepreneurs Frankie Cotton and Lara Sheldrake. This week I have the privilege of interviewing Laura Lane, founder of My Icon Story. I met Laura about six months ago and was really inspired by her story. In this episode we talk about building an online business, bootstrapping, expensive mistakes and using your network. We hope you enjoy. the Bossing It podcast. Thank you for having me, it's amazing to be here. How are you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. Really good start to the week. <laughs> good. So I was thinking back to when we met, so I think it was it was a General Assembly event last year, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was that, like autumn time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. And you were sharing the story, or your story of my icon story, yeah. which was really amazing. And I heard you speak and I thought, I have to talk to you, first of all, in more detail and also to get you on the podcast. So yeah, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about sort of your background and how my icon story came about? Well, actually, when we met, that was the first um, public speaking event I'd actually done for my icon story. No way. Yeah, so it was quite daunting. Well, you were great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was quite good to be able to actually practice speaking about my business in front of a wide audience. Mm. So my background is I used to work in advertising um, as a creative and was in the industry for about six and a half years. And during that time, um, won various awards for different creative works for Public Health England, Evian, Netflix, um, and actually really enjoyed my job. <laughs> and I think it was maybe the last couple of years in that journey um just kind of missed the kind of getting my hands dirty and making things so I decided to pick up a few um adobe skills and sort of self-teach myself because although I was a creative I wasn't like a I wasn't trained in graphic mm. design yeah so I really wanted to sort of you know do a bit of uh, practice and training sort of adobe software so um picked up some real basic skills um and just started playing around with InDesign and sort of creating icons and line art I took a sabbatical from work and travelled on my own for about three weeks. Normally sabbaticals are like months worth, but I only had the luxury of three weeks. But in that time, I managed to pack in um, Japan, the Philippines, Borneo and Kuala Lumpur um, and travelled on my own for the first time. So it was quite a big thing for me because I'd never done it before. And I was a little bit, you know, nervous about doing all of that on my own. Yeah. But during that time, uh, I kind of remember thinking, oh, I, I feel like there's more to offer in terms of what I'm doing for my job and I had this thought around you know maybe I can do something with the design work that I was doing um and upon coming back from that amazing sabbatical I wanted something physical to show for all of those places that I visited um the experiences that I had the journey that I went on but more importantly the order in which I actually visited those places so upon looking online and trying to find something that could literally retell my journey or story mm. couldn't quite find what I was looking for so I mean you can buy prints that are specifically about a city um or you know you could there, there are various things but there was nothing that could chronologically tell my personal um journey and experience so I thought oh well I've started creating these icons maybe I'll create an icon for each of the places that I visited so Tokyo um Kotakinabalu in Borneo, um, the Orangutan Sanctuary. So I started populating this print of icons that represented my trip. 
And did you just do that just for you? Or did you have an idea in your mind that maybe it was something that you could grow it? Or did you simply do it to capture your memories? Yeah, I mean, I, I in the back of my head, I did have a an inkling that there might be something in this because, you know, there are thousands upon thousands of people that go on sabbaticals or gap years or around the world trips. And in the current gift market, there isn't really anything that could kind of document journeys. Mm. So yeah, I did... I did think that there could be something of a business idea sort of sitting amongst it. Yeah, um, I remember when you when you explained about my icon story the first time I heard about it, and I thought, yeah, you're right, there isn't anything like that. And yeah. it's kind of weird how you would almost take it for granted that a product like that would exist. Yeah. Um, you know, having a sort of visual storytelling element to travels or any experience, really. But like you say, there wasn't really anything that could do it in the same yeah. way. So I guess... I, in a nutshell for the audience, my icon story is an online personalised print platform um, where you can self-create your own icon prints. You choose from thousands of icons that I've now designed and begin to populate your own icon story to tell any kind of story, whether it be life moments, experiences, um, relationships, um, your favourite things, hobbies, places any kind of milestone, um, whether it be a single moment in time or to capture like a whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. So you can literally create any story that you want it to tell just by using icons to really kind of bring that visual storytelling aspect to life. And don't you do this really cool thing as well where people can request icons? Yes, yeah, so we do have a free icon request service on the platform. So it's myiconstory.com. And we basically offer it as a free 24-hour service. So you can request an icon and we'll get the request and design and upload it for free and notify that that customer um, within sort of 24 hours to say, hey, thanks for the icon request, we've received it. Um, and then we also tell them once it's been uploaded. Um, and it then means that we are organically growing our library and mm. everyone else can then use that icon that's been requested. Yeah, that's brilliant. So rewinding back to when the idea for my icon story came about so when was that so the first so I left my job in December 2016 and spent the following year developing the platform so the design your own platform so prior to that I was creating prints manually for customers through Facebook or like little pop events I did um in my local area mm-hmm. and I was just sort of creating them by hand as and when and one Christmas, this woman um, came into one of the pop-ups that I was doing and she said, oh, this is such a lovely idea. Can I go and take sort of an hour, go to a coffee shop and think about some of the icons I can put together for my daughter because she's just done um, a sabbatical around the world trip. I was like, yeah, of course, I'll still be here. So she came back an hour later with this list of icons and she'd been going back through her daughter's Facebook photos to kind of pick out all the places that she'd been to. And I was so touched. I was like, oh my gosh, A, she came back, like she promised. (laughs) And B, she'd kind of spent so much time and enjoyed the time. She said, she said, oh, I've just had the most amazing afternoon, like looking back over all my daughter's photos. And I was like, oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. (laughs) And um, it was that moment actually that got me thinking, wow, well, you know, it's actually the emotion involved in kind of putting together that print yourself. Mm-hmm. So if I can create a, a platform that enables customers to do it for themselves, then they also get the joy of creating it. Yeah. Um, and it evokes those memories along the way when you're putting it together. Yeah. So is that the point where you sort of decided, OK, what had essentially been on the side as you were working was then going to become a full time? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess... Um, 
the kind of the phrase side hustle um mm. it's kind of been floating around quite a lot recently hasn't it and yeah I think to an extent what I was doing was a side hustle um I was doing it evenings weekends spare time um and yeah I think from from that moment I decided to to leave my job to sort of really give this a go I turned it into a full-time business um and spent you know the, the best part of 2017 developing the platform um, myicon.com to enable people to create their own my icon stories. So yeah, it, it it went from side hustle to full time business. How did you find that transition? How was that first year? Because there are a lot of highs and a lot of lows, right? And I think a lot of a lot of success early on is actually about self management and how you can overcome those things. So how how was that like for you, twenty seventeen? Gosh, that I think twenty seventeen was probably one of the the hardest years of my life. <laughs> Mm. But I mean, there's there's still hard years now. But I think I didn't anticipate the loneliness or the isolation. So going from working in an office where there may be sort of like five, six hundred people and maybe mm. like working with a team of, I don't know, 20 every day to then literally working on your own week on end, <laughs> not speaking to people like it's day tough, by day. It? It's so tough. And um I think I, I like to think I'm quite a sociable person. That like missing out on that work social culture, I think, was one of the hardest transitions, physically and mentally. But then, yeah, I guess the the pressures that you then put on yourself because you're managing your own time and there is no one else to answer to but yourself. So um, I found that really tough because if I ever wanted to, you know, run something past someone, there was mm. no one really to run it past. It was just me. So yeah, I found that really difficult to kind of get to terms with. And I think everyone says, oh, it's so good you get to work for yourself. And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. But also I've got no one to, you know, bounce things off of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those sort of things that you take for granted, I guess. So how, what sort of strategies or what tactics did you use to help overcome some of those things, do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I started going to a few sort of networking events, um, meetups, um, talks. Um, I actually joined a couple of groups on Facebook, which have been beyond brilliant, I think, for me. Um if ever I had a, a question or didn't know something or wanted a bit of, of advice, I'd put out a question on these Facebook groups. Blooming Founders was actually one of the ones that I use quite regularly. And, um, you know, I'd put something out on there, say, hey, anyone else had this problem or can recommend something? And the amount of response and um, support I would get off the back of that message was amazing. So I didn't feel like I was so alone and mm. that other people had been through it. So that was a really good kind of way to, you know, get some extra help. Tell us about how you've sort of scaled my icon story then. So from 2016, a bit of a side hustle, then you yeah. sort of had this this moment where you thought, actually, okay, how can I get customers to to start really engaging with a platform and sort of building their own stories and enabling them to do that? And then to sort of where you are now, how have you managed yeah. it? Because when you go online and you, um, you know, you visit myiconstory.com and it it's this huge platform that seems to work seamlessly yeah. it's got so many resources <laughs> you work with loads of brands and we'll talk about that maybe a bit later but how did you what was that sort of period in the middle and what did that look like how did you scale that I think it was a hairy middle period um so the best part of yeah 2017 was like building that that website that platform which did take probably nine to ten months in total from sort of initial concepts and wireframes which I designed to then working with a developer and, you know, every sort of week and month back and forth going between the different stages of the website development process. 
Did you use a local developer? Did you use some? How no, did you find someone? I, I actually, I was recommended someone. Um, I was looking into IP protection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, we've got thunder. Um, <laughs> For any listeners, yeah, there's a, there seems to be a storm which has arrived. Um, Must have been there's something exciting happening. <laughs> yeah, so you might hear a bit of thunder in the background. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was recommended a website developer and um, I had never met this guy before, but he came recommended, so I used him. He was based in Oxford, so most of it was remote, um, but I did meet up with him a couple of times. I might come back on to that story because the website that you see now is the second iteration within the space of about a year and a half, so okay, fine, that was a enough. tricky situation in itself. Um, but yeah, so obviously developing the site and then... I guess really it was a case of whilst all that was going on, I was trying to think about well, how do I actually build a brand? Because there's yeah. no point having a website and a product if you've not got a story and a brand behind it. Yeah. So exactly. in terms of, because people always think, oh, well, what do you do with your days if like the website's being built? <laughs> and I can't tell you like how many things I managed to find myself doing for the business setup. So how did you go about building the brand then? And what was important to you? Because if you're... Your experience was in sort of a creative world. So did that give you a strong sense of what you wanted to build? Yeah, I think it definitely helped. So from a, a media perspective um, and like audience engagement interaction, I was, you know, quite savvy on the ways in which to get customers to engage with the brands. Um, and obviously, you know, obviously social being a massive part of that. But I think really the, the most important aspect was to really bring that story to life. So although my icon story obviously is a digital platform, the service and the brand that I've built behind it is very pers- personal and mm. personalised. So, you know, whenever we have a customer that gets in touch with us, it's a very one-to-one conversation. If people are c- requesting icons, again, it's very personal because they're requesting something that might be a wedding venue, for example. Mm. So we like to kind of put a face to the brand. So even though it started off as a digital um, like website platform, actually is still just me behind it and I have that one-to-one relationship with customers and the feedback has been wow the service is brilliant it's really personalized and you know you take loads of time to respond to emails and make it um really sort of um like a a easy communication Mm. so I think that from a non-design perspective was probably the most important thing was to yeah make people feel like we're not just sitting behind a computer screen actually is it's a proper service and how about from a PR perspective? Because you've had some good yeah. press, right? And I've you've, had you've some great won PR. awards and you've done all sorts of things. So yeah. Tell us about that. So I, I've I've done all the PR myself, and okay. people always say, "How? How? How did you get into the metro?" So I, I was lucky to get into the metro um, in my first Christmas um, amongst um, Stylist Magazine further down the line, and little bits here and there were local press. But and I've I've gone after it myself. The metro piece specifically. I used my contacts from my old advertising days. So I was always quite, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what the right word is, but I didn't want to ask people for help early on because I wanted to try and prove that I could do it myself. But then I got to a stage mm. where I was like, well, well no, you should, you've worked hard to make these contacts. They're, people are offering to help, so take them up on it. Yeah. So I took them up on it and I said, guys, listen, I don't suppose there's any way you can get me a piece in the Metro. So Metro do this thing called Behind the Idea, and um, I said I'd love to, I'd love to sort of share my story in the behind the idea feature, and they made it happen. Wow. And they also added me into the gift guide for that Christmas, so I had two pieces in the space of a week. Brilliant. And that was kind of the turning point for me, 
where it went from sort of like a trickle of orders to say a hundred orders in the space of a week and a half over that really important Christmas period. Mm. And I remember getting the champagne and thinking, oh my gosh, I've just made my first 100 orders. I never anticipated it. And I think maybe I was a bit naive to the the impact of old school print. Yes. Um, So yeah, it was amazing. And from that point, I was getting orders from, I don't know, people in like Wales and Scotland and Ireland and Manchester, Birmingham and Newcastle, all these places where I don't know people. They're not friends of friends of friends. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a real kind of moment for me because they were, you know, customers that were by no means related to me and they'd seen it in print or Mm. through any other media. It's really interesting what you say there about you can almost forget the impact that print and traditional media can have because we're so empowered with digital media and social media and we can create so much of that ourselves and have so much control. Yeah. You put all of your energy into those spaces, which is wonderful and can, you know, do really great things. But actually incorporating that layer of traditional media and press is really important because of the scale of the audience, right? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's really sort of, yeah, I think that's a good point and one that is possibly often overlooked these days. Yeah. So that was a good Christmas then for you? Brilliant first Christmas because we'd only, we'd launched the site pretty much in September of that year and by I think the second week in December, yeah, we'd reached the 100 order mark. So it was brilliant. And I was like, yes, winning. Okay, don't need to do anything else. It's working (laughs) (laughs) until the following year. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, did that sort of sustain or then did it it ebb and flow or what sort of Definitely ebbed and flowed. And I think probably by March um, 2018, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, like orders had pretty much near and stopped. So I got, a, I got a bit for Valentine's Day, but I didn't have any PR around Valentine's Day. Mm. And in fact, I didn't get any other PR for the majority of the rest of that year, which had a massive impact on sales. So even though I was growing my social and doing loads of content and maybe doing like Facebook ads and Instagram ads, in terms of those like big, important PR pieces around those key gifting dates, I didn't get any, mm. which meant actually orders fell dramatically. So what did you do? How did you deal with that? That's a huge challenge. Massive challenge. And I kind of just put it down to, okay, it's fine. This is the first year that I've been in business where the website's been working um, and transactional. So we'll use this year as a test year. So we can then see a flow of throughout the year where there are peaks and troughs in sales. Naturally, they fit towards where there are, you know, gifting dates, Mother's Day, Father's Day, um, and all, all that kind of thing. But yeah, I kind of almost just wrote it as a test year but something dramatically needs to change in order to not make it a reoccurring theme mm. <laughs> and actually to have a consistent level of sales throughout the year in order to manage that that important cash flow. It sounds, I mean, obviously it's, it's easy to say with hindsight now and to sort of tell the story, but it sounds like you managed that emotionally quite well. Was that the sort of reality <laughs> or was it a bit? No, um, I can't tell you the amount of, like break little mini breakdowns I've had like week on week or month on month you get good months you get bad months you know when you get like a little mini win it's like the best week ever because you've done one thing that's like worked really well if you get one thing that's not gone so well you then take that as the biggest you know backward step Mm. maybe that's being a solo founder where you haven't got someone to say hey no it's cool don't worry about it like move on quickly but I tend to stew on things um, or at least I did in the first year anyway whilst I was like learning how to you know deal with being like a business owner for the first time 
it's easier now because I've been through all the peaks and troughs and the roller coaster of the first year and I've learned a hell of a lot on, along the way. So how did you pick that back up then? So you had your test year where you yeah. were seeing when the orders would come in and what the year sort of looked like and how the website functioned and everything else. How did you then get back on track and start to grow the business again? So I thought there's there's two ways I can grow the business. A, I need a load of money yeah. <laughs> to put behind it. And if I can't get the money right now or for whatever reason I don't have it, then I need to think of other smarter ways to basically like borrow equity from other brands or other people, whether that be influencers or companies. So what I decided to do was actually work with brands. Mm -hmm. So I knew that what I had in terms of my icon story and the, the product that we offer was completely unique and the feedback was, you know, all positive. Everyone loved the fact that it was, you know, they could make something completely bespoke and no one had ever, no one had ever seen a print that used icons in that way. So I was like, okay, I can hold on to the fact that I've got something unique in the market and that no one else has. In order to protect myself and grow it, what if I then brought on brands and created branded icons so that people could then create a print featuring their favourite character or their favourite um, football club, for example, or yeah. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I started to go down the brand licensing route. Which um, sounds like a really... <laughs> as, as somebody who doesn't know much about that, that sounds like quite a scary but really interesting process. Yeah. How did you find it? What, what did you discover? I think if I, if I started my life again and didn't have a business, I would work in brand licensing. I love it. It's, fa <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating. And you get to work with so many cool brands. So basically I attended this event called Brand Licensing Europe. It's held every year set up meetings with various brands mm -hmm. and said, hey, this is what we're about. This is what My Icon Story offers. We want to create icons of your characters, assets, whatever it might be, and add them to our website as an icon collection so that customers can choose that icon and put it onto one of our prints as a personalised gift or personalised print product. So the first brand that we got on board was Transport for London. And it's always, like, the hardest thing is getting that first person to believe in you to say yes. Because mm. then all the rest tend to then follow or, or it creates that snowball effect. Yeah. So, again, I used my contacts from my advertising days and actually Transport for London were one of um, my agency's clients. So I, I asked a, a colleague, said, any chance you can put me in touch <laughs> with someone at TFL, have this idea, want to, you know, use all their icons or their station icons so that customers can feature, I don't know, the station where they live, like Bermondsey here, for example. Mm -hmm. Took about 15 months from, wow, from, from you know, initial conversation right there through to getting everything signed off and up on the site. But yeah, then, then that opened a whole load of other doors to different brands who saw that we were working with TFL and we had icons for all the stations. And then it kind of put the scene in their head to think, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I know. Oh, they could use our assets or our characters or whatever it is. And then it just, it kind of spiralled from there. So now we have icons for Natural History Museum, for Love Hearts, for... Yeah, the Love Hearts one. Yeah, I'm really yeah. excited to launch that one. Um, we've also got NYC, which is New York's tourism board, and they own um, New York Police Department and um, New York Taxis and a whole host of things. And now we're attracting, you know, character brands like SpongeBob and Nickelodeon and Mr. Men and Little Miss. So it's beyond fascinating and I'm really enjoying that side of it. Because again, no one else is doing it. And once I've got that licensing deal, you then lock out the competition. So it increases our USP. That's really yeah. interesting. 
So you were just telling us about two things that you were considering. So one was working with brands and the other one was around investment. Did you go down that route or does that sort of look like for you? So I was very cautious early on in that I knew amongst the startup world that going for investment seems to be like the done thing, almost mm. like a status. Yes. Or what series are you? Or how much are you raising? Are you investing? Are you, you know, looking to speak to VCs or angels? And it was this whole world that I literally knew nothing about. Yeah. I didn't even know what an exit strategy was until maybe a month ago when I started properly looking into it. And I thought, no, do you know what? I want to bootstrap and self-fund the whole business as far as I can take it myself and then I'll see where I get to so I've definitely toyed with the idea I've looked at various different options whether it be crowdfunding or yet yeah, angels VCs and now that I'm in my kind of second full year it's now it now feels like the right time I've had two years worth of the business understanding it and growing it to know that okay I've got some decent figures that I can actually put some as that backup and now I'm going for investment but it's taken me two years to think I'm ready to. So I didn't just want to do it off, you know, just based on an idea. I wanted to have a bit of traction. I wanted to, you know, create something unique. And then the other brands I now can use as currency to say, well, we might not be making, you know, millions in sales, but we've got all these brands that believe in us. So we must be doing something right. I really like what you're saying there about taking the time to really consider what your investment options are and actually letting the business sort of bed in a little bit. because. Yeah. I think you're right. There's a lot of pressure to go down the investment route and you look at the structure of accelerated programs, for example, and, you know, all of these sort of networks that are built around bringing together investors and founders. And for some people, it's essential and they need that investment and they're not going to be able to grow the business without it. But in more cases than not, actually, there are things that can be done, as you say, by bootstrapping, yeah. self-funding and actually just putting in the groundwork. And yeah, it's probably not as glamorous and you're not going to make so much money up front. But actually, the strength of the business and that organic growth that you see, the connection to customers, yeah. really feeling every win and every loss as well to a certain degree, um, I think just gives you a completely different relationship and understanding of what it is that you're creating and then, yeah, it puts you in a stronger position to know what you want yeah, and to fight completely. for it Yeah, well. and like, I, feel, I feel like I know my business. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. And I've had, yeah, two years' worth of experience and, you know, um, data and customer mm. traction to be able to predict going forward. And I think, yeah, there's a lot to be said for sort of just waiting for the right time. Now, don't, you don't, it doesn't mean you have to wait forever. Obviously, you've got to make a decision. But yeah. I've now come to that decision where... I can't take the business any further without an injection of, of investment. Talk us through some of, or one of, if you like, the key challenges that you've faced and that you've overcome. So you alluded earlier to mm. um, <laughs> maybe some troubles with the website. From the website perspective, obviously I'd never made a website before. Yeah. Um, I think I'd done like code in a day, like maybe five years ago. So I had an understanding, like real basic understanding of how websites are built. And I'd use things like Squarespace before. Mm -hmm. And then people say to me, oh, did you not just use like, you know, one of those Wix or Squarespace to make my icon store? And I said, hell no. Like, it's a really complex site. Yeah, the functionality. <laughs> the functionality is, is just, yeah. And I, I had this like, you know, concept in my head of how I wanted it to work. A drag and drop system. I wanted it to be really flowing and easy. And that needs development. Mm. But being... I was, I think I, at the beginning I was in quite a rush just to get it made and get it done and sort of start. 
and probably overlooked uh, probably one crucial thing, which is that if you're building a website, at the end of it, you need to own 100% of the code. And that would be my number one biggest tip for anyone looking to start an online business or that needs to build a website. If you get a web developer on board, in the contract, ensure in the small print that you own 100% of the code because I overlooked it and it got me in trouble after the first year where I wanted to do various things with the website and I then couldn't because mm. I didn't own the code and it came as quite a shock and I felt quite trapped. Um, and I also felt embarrassed that I'd been that naive and overlooked it. So when I was telling people, I was always embarrassed to be like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I signed this contract and basically didn't have 100% ownership of the code. And I just felt like an absolute idiot. <laughs> but it's, you don't know what you don't know, that's the right. thing. And that's why it's really important you know, things like this where you share your story is that others listening will know, right, okay, well, I'll make sure that I, I do that or I don't do that because, yeah, you don't know what you don't know and it's a minefield. You're having to learn skills at 100 miles an hour when you start a business yeah. and you literally have no idea. You know, there's you might be plugging one hole over here in terms of knowledge and then there's something else, whether it's sort of, I don't know, tax returns or God knows what, but, yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't be embarrassed, but it's really it's a really good point that, you're, mm. that you've made. What, what happened? Well... In all honesty, I think I was taken advantage of because I didn't necessarily know the ins and outs of mm. the website development, various kind of like, I don't know, integrations or how things are made and done and sort of times and all that kind of thing that's related to putting a website together. The guy that I was working with clearly knew that I was, you know, a first timer at this and um, everything that he said, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, sounds good. Because you as you said, you don't know what you don't mm. know. And I think he took me for a bit of a ride. And um, Did he lock you into that under the assumption that then you would have to continue using him yeah, to do any development? Completely. Right yeah. He basically said, I couldn't sell my business or my website if I wanted to and no other developer could work on the website. So I thought, well, what if I wanted to then have my own in-house team later down the line? Mm. No, sorry, it's my code and I wouldn't let anyone else touch the code. So it was a real red flag and I was like... <gasps> oh my gosh, I feel trapped, like, hang about, I want to be able to grow my business, I want to mm -hmm. have a team or have my own in-house developer. And all these, then after that, these tiny little red flags started dotting up all over the place and he wouldn't then give me access to my analytics. Oh my God. And I was like, right, this guy's a shark, I need to get out. Yeah. So the advice was, and I had to, it, it was a real hard one to take, but you're going to have to rebuild the website again with someone else, completely rebuild the code from scratch and own 100% of it. Yeah, wow. That must have been a tough... Really tough, because it was... Yeah, it was probably only six months after I'd actually launched the website first time round. So then to have to pay out that money again put me on the back burner for that following year. But best thing I ever did was to cut ties with this guy, mm. create a new site, own all the code, and now I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it feels amazing. When things like that happen, it could go one of two ways. You could either decide to not bury your head in the sand, that's not really the right phrase, but continue down the path that you've gone because you've already dedicated so much time or equity or mm. whatever to something, or just walk away and do it quickly and sort of rip it off like a plaster and start again. And yeah. I think a lot of people often go down the path of, 
well, I've already invested this much in it, so I'm going to keep... So that sort of becomes a compounded investment yeah. in something that's not quite working, that's not quite right. So it's brave to just just rip it, it off was, like a plaster and just yeah. think, right, no, I've got to It was make super tough, and I had to get, like, legal involved, which isn't always nice. But, yeah, as I said, it's, it's probably one of the single best decisions that I've made in terms of the business. So what would you say is the greatest lesson that you've learned since starting your business I know you shared a couple of really great nuggets yeah but... I think patience patience yeah because I think I was very eager to just like get it out there when you rush things you overlook things mm. um so yeah I've, I've kind of learned I'm not a patient person <laughs> but I've learned to have more of it um but yeah definitely be patient and attention to detail which is probably one of my worst habits I like I get really excited about things and I just kind of like try and get it out there as quickly as can as I can and then realize that I've made a mistake or spelt something wrong or it could be a minor thing but yeah attention to detail and patience I remember when you and I spoke a while ago and we were just sort of discussing the challenges of starting a business and experience and so on and we were talking about the sort of facade that people around you see through your business because they look at your branding and they look at your social media and their, yeah. your PR and it all looks very positive and it all looks amazing from the outside. Yeah. Um, but that it does, it's not masking some things that go on the inside. It's just how, how business is. You don't see yeah. the reality of what's going on. So how have you sort of managed that and what advice would you give to others? Yeah, I like that? to use a phrase smoke and mirrors. Um, and actually my mum always used to say it to me because... I'd get, you're right, I'd get a load of people say, oh my gosh, you're absolutely smashing it. Business is doing so well. You look like you're doing loads. Oh my God, this is amazing. And I'd be like putting, oh yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's great. Whilst inside, I'd be feeling like a cheat because I'd be thinking, well, I've got no money to do my hair, my hair and highlights. Or, you know, I'm not making any sales. Or things are kind of going slower than what it looks like online. But equally at the same time, no one wants to see all the negatives all the time. They want to, you know, they want mm. to see you flourish. They want to see you do well. And it gives them that excitement. And a, a lot of people say to me, oh, don't give up because, you know, I'd like to believe that this can happen for good people. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not going to quit yet. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I often struggled with the whole, you look like you're doing amazing versus the realities. Mm. And... I've got way better at it though now. I'm like, well, do you know what? Yeah, I am doing amazing. And, you know, I've come a long way. And you often forget how far you've come. Yeah. Because you're living it every day. You just, you see sort of the small progresses every day. Whereas from someone on the outside, and you're posting all your updates, or, I don't know, for me, it'd be like the brand collaborations. If they're seeing that every other week or every other month, they're like, wow, that is growing big. Yeah, and quickly. Yeah. And I'd look at other brands and startups and think, gosh, they've literally come from nowhere overnight. Mm. They're huge. Where have they come from? Wow, they're smashing it. <laughs> but then you think back to your own You're story and Jenny, you think they've probably been at it for like five, six, seven years. Who knows? Yeah. And there's been a tipping point that has made them skyrocket. Yeah, of course. And I'm hopefully on that journey to that tipping point. It could be next year. It could be another three years. Mm. But when that tipping point happens, people on the outside would think, wow, where's my icon story come from? Like, they've smashed it. They're massive now. But there's been all that in the background. All the hard work in the Mm. background. Yeah, it's funny the story you tell about, you know, highlights and getting your hair done things. It's (laughs) it's amazing how 
how much or how little rather you can survive on when you have to when you're pushed yeah. I think it's it's often for people who have done quite well in their careers and then because of that if they're quite ambitious people they then decide right well I'm going to take this this passion this ambition and yeah. all this hard work that I do you know for for wherever you're employed and put it into your own venture there's this huge gap, this big disconnect between probably the salary and the perks and, th- and the lifestyle that you're experiencing. So you're right. Going into the startup world, and it will take you a few years to, I don't know, I mean, it's different for everyone, but a good few years to then come out the other side. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough adjustment period. Massively. I felt like a massive failure mm. for the first year or so because I wasn't earning any money. Yeah. And also I had no status. And I think for me... Yeah, when, when you know, at the beginning we were talking about what was the hardest transition, actually going from, oh, Laura Robinson, creative lead of MEC to, well, my new surname is Laura Lane now, but so Laura Lane of My Icon Story, solo founder, all of a sudden you're a no one. Yeah. And you've got no power behind you because you've not got that status of the company you're working for or the role that you're in. Yeah. And that reputation that you've built up, built up with all those contacts. So I found that really tough. And I thought oh my gosh, I, I have to make this a success because otherwise I'll look like a failure to all of my past colleagues, you know? And it was I felt embarrassed if I wasn't, you know, doing really well. How do you manage that pressure? I, I mean, just I think guess it takes time, time, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm way more relaxed about things now. But at the mm. same time, I'm still like, oh, I still really want to, you know, make this a real, make this work really well. Yeah, I guess it's just about making sure that that's coming from the right place and that yeah. the business is serving you and what you want it to achieve and not... Yeah, I remember that initial panic when I first became self-employed and you just sort of think, where's my identity? Yeah. Who am I? I'm now, like, as you say, I'm now a nobody that works for a brand or a company name that nobody's ever heard exactly. of. Exactly, yeah. It's tough. Really hard. So tell us, let's look forward to the future of My Icon Story and what you're going to do next with the business and also for you, you know, personally, professionally. Yeah. What, what can we get excited about with you and what does that look like? I'm no, I'm really excited about the next few years. I'm going for investment this year. Um, so fingers crossed if all goes to plan, I will have investment by the end of the year. That's, you know, hope, hopefully. Um, because what I want to do is really scale the business now. So I want to build a team. At the moment, it's, it's still me doing everything, every role. Um, so I want to be able to grow the team, have marketing budgets so that I can actually get my icon story in front of people, in front of the right audiences so people know about it. Because when they know about it, they love it. My problem is no one really knows about it. Yeah. Um, so that for me is the biggest um, next step is to kind of, you know, mass awareness and also taking it globally. So the way that I've built my icon story is that it's, I, I've never focused it on just being a UK brand and business. It's always set out to be a global business mm-hmm. because icons are universal. They're not, yeah. they don't depend on language. They're, it appeals to absolutely everyone and anyone wherever you are in the world which is its real beauty. Mm. So it is a global brand and I want to um, expand globally so I can start going in different markets. So that would then mean a production company that can do global shipping or where the production can be done in, I don't know, the States, if it's going to be delivered to somewhere in the States or it could be produced in, um, I don't know, Australia, if it's going to go to somewhere in New Zealand or Mm. Asia, wherever it might be. So global expansion, I'm really excited about. But then also really developing the brand licensing side of it yeah. and bringing more brands on, on board. So the way that I see my icon story developing is we will be the icon brand. 
that's what I want us to be known for, is mm-hmm. the icon brands, where we c- where a customer can literally feature any icon they want on mm-hmm. a personalised product. So I use the word oh, product because yeah. I don't want my accessory just to be prints. We can apply icons to loads of different products. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, global expansion, new product development, and more brands so that we become the number one icon gifting platform. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> if every brand are listening, just come a casual way. global yeah. expansion. <laughs> just um, casually. But yeah, no, that's great because you're right. Icons are universal and they transcend language. And what can we all do to support your business? You can have a look online, have a little play around um, on the design your own. Send us an icon request. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, well, I'd love an icon for my dog or where I live or maybe it's my wedding venue, or maybe it's, I don't know, a Louboutin, because you like Louboutins. Whatever icon you think you'd like to have, whether it's for a relationship or hobbies or whatever, send us an icon request. You can do it online um, on the homepage, or you can just email me, laura at myiconstory.com. And that'd be great, because I like to get the icon requests from customers so so that every customer who does they almost become part of our story. Also, just follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to your story and the insights that you have. Before we go, is there anything, a final note that you want to share with listeners, any piece of advice or anything you suggest that people go in do? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I had a vision and an ambition and there's been many hurdles along the way, but like a hurdle, you've got to jump over them. So... That's what I've done to get from where I started to where I am now. And there's probably a ton more hurdles to jump, but I'm ready to jump higher than ever. So, yeah, if you've got an ambition and, you know, you're focused, you you can make it happen, even if you've never done it before, like me. Well, I think what you've just said is absolute testament to what you've built and what you've overcome and, you know, the amazing brand that you've built with Maya Story. So well done. And thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. Today and sharing your story with us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode. As always, you can get involved with the conversation online by tagging us at Found Flourish and using the hashtag BossingItPod. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. And we'll see you again next week. Have a good one. Bye.